I went to a record fair in not record. It was like a little. They had records at, at a pub in in uh, Darlinghurst and um, Black and Gold, and I saw Jesse there. Yeah. Hey, Jesse. Yeah, and I found a mint copy of Jill Jones' debut and only release on Paisley. Mint, like I'm talking mint. It was a shiny vinyl, five Come bucks. On. I was just about to say, tell me it was five bucks. Five bucks. <laughs> Red Eye would charge you a hundred. Yeah. Then I got an, uh, another copy of Love Sexy, no big deal. That was also five bucks. Really good, just beautiful, clean vinyl. If it was the original, that'd be another story. Are you going to be um, buying the Rock and Roll Love Affair vinyl? You know, I'm very tempted just because I'm in that vinyl really? zone at the moment. Just because I'm in the vinyl zone. I'm like... <laughs> I reckon you should get it in for the simple fact that it probably won't do as well. So it'd be like harder to find in like years down the track. Maybe, yeah. So if you got it now, it'd be, you know, because right. I don't think many people will. I don't, I don't... Look, I don't want to bag the guy for, for putting out a song that's just... Subpar. Nah, not subpar. It's just a bit... A bit derivative, done before. Yeah, it's very derivative. Like, if he would have taken out that... Yeah, let's start. Let's start. What, we, what are you talking about, let's start? We have started, haven't let's we? Let's start. Let's start. <laughs> you haven't said hello, hello, hello. That's the start of the show. <laughs> I've, I've pressed record. Isn't this the show? I don't get it. No, let's start right now. <laughs> Welcome to the Pitch and Black podcast, your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain, why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Oh, jam. Either version. I love both versions. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Peach and Black podcast. Still still free, always been free, never made a cent. <laughs> we are back again. This time, we've got no plan. We're going for broke, and... Um, that's- <laughs> it sounded like you said, we're going broke. No, we're going broke, we're going broke, and we're going for broke. We've got no agenda, no hidden or overt agendas to, on tonight's show. We're just sitting around the table, talking smack. Basically. <laughs> so uh, let me just introduce Player. She said it's tight, but I think I can fit you in. <laughs> Toe Jam. I can't beat that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's disgusting, Toe Jam. And uh, <laughs> Captain. Yeehaw. <laughs> Yippee Kaye. It's me, MC. We're all back. This is the place to be tonight. Yes, a, a random show. Random thoughts, random, random talking points. Ah, oh, what, what were we talking about before I introduced us? Uh, wait a second. Rock and roll uh, love affair. Okay, that's right. And what, what were we saying? <laughs> You're going to go and buy the vinyl. Only because I'm in a vinyl kind of mood. No, you um, think that the vinyl would sound better. Undoubtedly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we were talking about um, this, that the song is very derivative of mm-hmm. things he's already done before. Yeah, I think that like the Take Me With You kind of pop poppiness, boppiness, pop boppiness, and um, also the... The synths that are very reminiscent of the 1999 lead line. Mm. It, it, if it wasn't for those two elements... It's just the fact that he's recorded so much that, you know, he, he has to repeat himself sometimes. Like, Yeah, but here's the question. It's a, if we all agree, and I don't know that we do, but let's say we all agree that it's a good pop song, good kind of radio-friendly, which, again, without sounding like a broken record, I think it is. Do you think, when he was putting it together, at any time he thought, Gee, that sounds like 1999. Or geez, that sounds like of course the rhythm would take me with you. So you think it's a conscious move? I think it could be one of those things where he's just done it, like improved it, and then listened back the next take and gone, "Yeah, that's from this song." But he's like, "Oh well, it's too late now. I've done it now." So, <laughs> <laughs> so I like mean, I've done okay. that heaps of times, and the band as well. We've done that heaps of times. Like you write a song and you think, "Yeah, this is cool," and then you listen back to it literally an hour later, or even halfway through your writing it, it hits you and like, oh, this is straight off this song. But it's like, oh, well, we're already sort of half done with it now. Like, we'll just keep going with it. Okay, but do you still release that? Yeah, it's still a... Like, it's not like you're deliberately doing it on purpose. No, 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 but after the fact, like, after you've identified that it's... Like, if you're multi-tracking, do you, like, scrub those parts out? 
do you take those elements and turn it down? I don't have a problem with it. Uh, to me, it's like you'll never know. You'll never know if he did it deliberately or whether it just came out. But I don't have it. Like if it did just come out, I don't have a problem with it because it's like, well, everything's been done before a million times. If you really search for it, you'll find it somewhere. So I know, but when when one but artist does when something it's such so a big, overt, yeah, when it is that overt, I agree. I don't know. It's just a bit. But on the other hand, it's I think it's it takes doing, away from the song. Yeah, it does a bit, but maybe it's just him sort of doing a little homage to himself, like. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, this is the question. Since since MC or oh, Jam, you already said the word derivative. Do you think this is the question? Do you think Prince is ever going to write another song that's not derivative of himself? He has. What was the it's last? Getting thing? harder and harder for him. I, I disagree. Well, I disagree. Now this is going to spark up some controversy. I feel. Yeah, what was the last song? That go back to 2010, like, right? Walk yeah. in Sand. That is in no way derivative to the kind of stuff he normally does. Now, let's just <laughs> control <Whoa>. yourself. <laughs> We're talking about. Minute, hang on a minute. We're talking I about remember when derivative. we did that. Yeah, but I, I remember we, when we did that, you, you weren't happy with that song at all. You were just like, oh, this is just a cheesy. <laughs> Throw pop away. I, yeah, but Throw I'm not talking ballad. about whether I like the song or dislike it. I'm saying, is it deri- derivative? Is it, is it is it a a more original idea? Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and and to me, he well, it's he's not never... it's not um typically a Prince song, exactly. but he's Ooh, done heaps of songs break, like that. Break. But the difference between this one is that this one catches on what the rest of us consider a Prince sound. Yeah, and okay, not only a Prince sound, in specifically 1999 and Take Me With You are two yeah. massive Prince songs. Walk in Sand doesn't remind me of anything by Prince or any anyone else, really. So, I, I don't know. There's stuff on Lotus Flower that I think he's never quite... There's plenty of original material on that. You look at something like Boom, some of the instrumental stuff, 77 Beverly Park. Yeah, there's there's stuff yeah. like... That's the thing. In all of his albums, there's new ones. Like, yeah. You can always go back and find songs that sound like anything. Oh, that's maybe derivative of that. But it's not as obvious as this one. So to Captain's point, when was the last time he did something original? I think he's been producing original music year in, year out for the last 30 years, if you look closely enough. So I haven't been looking closely enough? Potentially. (laughs) See, because we're not talking about whether you like the music or not. If you're Mm. talking about originality, uh, he's not repeating himself constantly all the time with every, every single song and every single album. No way. Don't forget, 2010 was, you know, pretty much three years ago now. Two years ago. Uh, two and a half, coming up to two and a half. Well, it came out in July, so... Yeah, yeah. that's release, recorded, you know, well, written. Yeah, but I think it'll do him well if he has... It's, un, it's unlikely he'll release anything in 2012, and I think if he has 2013 without a release, good on him. Take your time and come back with something that you really feel, you know? But again, it comes down to this expectation, though, like when the Rolling Stones put out a new track. No one expects it to be anything else other than... A derivative Rolling Stones track. Yeah, and by the way, that's a cool song. I I, I really dig it. Because uh, okay. t- the Rolling no, Stones. I didn't even know there was one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, they got a new album out. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Well, actually, it's it's a greatest hits compilation, but there's two new songs on it. Okay. So, anyway, um, as as for Rock and Roll Love of A, I don't mind the song. It is very similar to other songs he's done, but I think to put that out as like the big lead single, there's been he's actually looking like he's putting a lot of promotion into it he's turning up at things and it, why, why put that much work into a song that is I not would, that great I don't the get it the, the first song well, okay he's not it's not a ballad but it's yeah. not I think representative it's, of, I, the, of what's to come I think it's just totally to keep his name in the news while he's doing the Andy Allo thing if he just put the Andy Allo thing out without any Prince news going on at all. It's like, oh yeah, Prince has a single too, and he's putting out a single, and you know, it keeps all of us interested in what's going on. So then we, you know, check out the Andy Allo album too. That's my guess. It's like it's like the lead single. It's almost like the lead single of Andy Allo's album, even though it has they're completely non-related. It serves the same function. He should have given that song to her. He should have kept People Pleaser and given that to her. Yeah, really. I really like that um recording actually of People Pleaser. That's cool. It It is. The horns horns are funky. Cause and effect, much better song. Sounds what? so <clears throat> much more urgent and vital and energetic. I was listening yeah. to that today, and I had to like rewind it a couple of times. Now, I'm a massive fan of that track. I just think it's got so many cool little bits. The changes direction. The musicianship is awesome. The lyrics are kind of interesting as well, where he's talking to himself about all sorts of things and about his life and about what he would regret and, and wouldn't regret. And it's just interesting. It's an interesting piece of music, and it's not that derivative of him. 
So give me cause and effect any day. Where's that album? I think we've spent more than enough time on rock and roll love affair. Oh, really? I had more to say about it. <laughs> no, I didn't. Prince knows he hasn't put out a single. He hasn't put out a song in a long time. And he didn't want to hit us too hard with the funk because we might all die. So he's just like easing us back into us. There's better songs coming. <laughs> really, really slowly. That's what easing. I think. Yeah. That's what I think. I just think this song has got tremendous potential to be a lot to much, be much greater than it is. It's got a cool rhythm part. It's got some cool horn or synth lines. It's got a good momentum. The lyrics are decent. Tells a story. And the story's not bad either. Maybe a bit cliched, but that's about it. I like, I like the story aspect to it. It's cool. It's a cool song. Someone said before they said the word expectation. And I think that is always going to be Prince's biggest thing to overcome or try to overcome. And it's that, that expectation is never going to go away. And I, Not yeah. from us, anyway. Like, new people coming in might hear Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and might think... What did you say? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> what, what did I say? Rock. <laughs> it's got an F in it. Rock and Roll Love Affair. Yeah, I'm sure new people coming into it probably hear it with different ears to what we hear it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is the same reason, you know, like when Prince first came out, a lot of the older people were going, oh, he's just ripping off James Brown, he's just ripping off James Brown, he's just ripping off Sly Stone, he's just ripping off Sly Stone. But it was the younger yeah, people that, yeah, it's the younger people that hear it with different set of ears who don't have that, you know, experience of what came before. But the problem is the younger people are, like, picking up the song because, I mean, okay. Because, it's, because it's not on YouTube. We don't know. We'll see what happens with the video. So. Yeah, but in him in general, he's not, he's not you out know, there. on YouTube. And people that are putting him out there are getting shut down. He's, he's, you know, sort of doing himself a disservice in that regard because he can potentially get more listeners and really build on the legacy that he's built. But he's sort of going backwards, I think, in that sort of regard. Which is a perfect segue to moving on to stuff like that. Like, you know, I don't know what you guys want to talk about with YouTube or whatever. But I, I mentioned to you guys last time we were speaking about, like, Gundam style. How that song, like, no one would know it if it was just released in Korea. It's the fact that YouTube has catapulted it worldwide and everybody knows it. And, like, I think that's the second biggest or most watched video on YouTube. The first is Justin Bieber, who's another artist. And I use that term loosely. No, but he's think, another. Think... The number one and two videos are people that were ultimately discovered by YouTube. Mm. Or they got their career started. Well, okay, Sai's been known in Korea for a long while, but they're, you know, they've been catapulted by YouTube. I think it's a medium that's really underestimated by Prince. I agree. And it, I've used this analogy with you know, the DVDs before, where you, know, you walk into a DVD store and you look at the live videos and there's like all these amazing live videos by all these artists. Then you look at the print section, there's like live at the Aladdin and like, oh, really? Like the quality of that thing. It's the same with YouTube. You punch in, you know, prints into YouTube and you get next to nothing. Yeah. So, any, it, like, you're totally right. Anyone who's just got a passing interest that may potentially become, like, a, a fan, it, they're limited in their, in their access to it. I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about what Prince should do because Prince is going to do what Prince is going to do. Exactly. But, but he should do this, good, though. Very good point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He <laughs> should. But if he's so... He seems to be so you know, set on, I need to get paid for, for this and that. But if no one's hearing him, he's not going to get paid for anything. I mean, he can still do concerts and all the fans are going to go to that. But where are the new fans? There's nothing for them to attract to him, you know. There's no, I mean, this is a single. It's going to be on vinyl. It's going to be out there. It seems the first time he's put any decent sort of promotion into anything for a while. But again, if it's not on YouTube and it's not out there, people still aren't going to hear it. Mm. It is a good point. It is a good point. Well, well, it does make you wonder, like, if this is really a, a commercial venture for him. Like, you would think that they would have the song up and ready to buy when they did the, the Jimmy Fallon performance. And so it's like, you know, he does the Jimmy Fallon performance, but then the, the single's not going to be Jimmy released Kimmel. for another... Sorry, what am I saying? Who's Jimmy Fallon? <laughs> <laughs> There's another guy. Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> that coffee's going to my head. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> good. <laughs> That'll make a better show. <laughs> But yeah, like, you know, he does the TV performance. Or no, that it, it's streamed on Funkenberry. Then a month later, it's, he does a Kimmel performance. Then a month later, it's released to buy. It just seems very strange. You think, like, the biggest chance they would have had for people buying it would be people watching the TV performance and then going, yeah, I'll buy that track. But it yeah. wasn't even there for them, so. It's almost like... Um, and now, sorry, a month later... Romance. Yeah. Yeah. A month later, everyone's going to be like, oh, that song, yeah, I can be bothered now. Yeah, it's like Greatest Romance. He released that, but then made the video like two, three months later and then released it. And by then it was redundant. Yeah. But um, It just seems very strange. Everything keeps getting po po postponed. Her, album, her album's been postponed two or three yeah, times. The right. Kimmel thing was postponed a couple of times. And 
Is 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 people please on iTunes? Yeah. Yep. It is, isn't it? I mean, that's a good start. I mean, that's where. But I mean, most people discover their music on YouTube. Which people please there is on YouTube, which is a good, also a good start. I think I saw something about Andiello discussing about distribution of possibly the record on a USB stick. Did you guys see that? Uh-huh. I did see something about that. She said something about like. You know, back in the day, she used to trade mixtapes and stuff with friends, and she said, like, a cool way to, to swap music with friends is, like, buy USB sticks or something. What about a, a two-terabyte hard drive? Would that count, or...? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, if they're thinking out of the box like that, that's, that's a start, you know, but they have to, you know... I don't know what the thought process is. As a Prince fan, it's very frustrating because, you know, there's all these avenues that he could take and he doesn't use them. The USB stick's a good idea, but it was done years ago by someone, I remember. Erica Badu, I think, did it. A bunch of people did it, like, you know, but I don't think they'll they'll go for that because it, unless they put, you know, some stupid copy protection or something, it's going to be so easily copied and Prince won't have that. If it's just files on a USB stick and anyone can copy it, you know, that's that's not how it works. That's his money. That's money. That's cash. Just getting copied for free. No way. That's not going to happen. But the industry is changing. And so many things are changing that, you know, eventually mm. we'll have to release something. Anyway, enough of that talk. Well, I was just going to say that there's absolutely no fun in talking about what Prince should do next. Because like Captain said, he's just going to do what he wants anyway. But <laughs> I think it would be cool... If he came out with an album one day, one year, that was recorded by whatever band he was using at that time, and the track list was made up of all the songs that he's, like, the best songs, the the best of the bunch, of all the music that he's released online, or rare single tracks that were never on any album, or unreleased music, and I don't know, if he recorded his own version of the Dance Electric in the studio now, cause and effect, put that out. Turn Me Loose, all that kind of stuff. Glass Cutter, Cyber Single. I don't know, put all those really kind of cool up-tempo rhythm-based songs and, and just put an album together like that. I reckon it'd be hot. When you mentioned that before, I thought you meant unreleased stuff. I thought you meant an album like of unreleased stuff, but stuff like, um, which he's bringing back, like there'd be Extra Lovable, it'd be In a Large Room With No Light. There'd oh, yeah, be yeah, that's, that, that stuff too. That stuff too. But just like recording it live in the studio and like first or second take only, you know? Yeah. If they can get it good enough on the first couple takes and just don't meddle with it. Just play it like band performances of songs and just slap them down. Do you mean like a, um, like kind of like what the Undertaker project was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like that. But maybe with a bigger band, you know? Bigger band, yeah. But the, uh, the genesis of that idea, just recorded in sort of one take. Yeah. Live, direct to that. Basically. Yeah. Do it like, you know, the old 50s and 60s. Well, maybe not the 60s, guys, but back the you know, bands in the 40s and 50s were doing that a lot. Yeah, just play, get a band in a room and record them. It would know? be good. That would be revolutionary right now. For someone who says real music by real musicians, why don't you get some real musicians in a room, play with them, play yourself, record yourself, don't overdub it, don't overproduce it. That's it. Mix it down to two tracks. Voila. New album. Yeah. Money in the release, bank. Release it on vinyl. <laughs> only <laughs> only release it on vinyl money in the bank that's the thing that'll catch you there but that's really what um that's what Lotus Flower is really no like, not at all there's some overdubs on it I think it is pretty much most of those are just live band tracks no it's too thought out <laughs> I don't know if it is I reckon most of those Lotus Flower tracks are just like trio jams that he's then turned into bigger songs that's probably the closest we've come for a while and I think or he's come we've come as, as audience as, as the listening public to hearing that but it's still not what I mean. Listen to this, though. When I think back to the best-sounding albums, I go back to Love Symbol album. I go to Gold Experience. I go to The Rainbow Children. I go to Lotus Flower. And what are they all? They're all pretty much live in the studio. Yeah. They've got, they've got overdubs, but they're all like band recordings. Yeah. And they're the best, you know, sonically-sounding albums that I can think of. Hook up with... An engineer that is out from another world, from another genre. I think I've mentioned this before. I highly recommend someone like Steve Albini, who many people probably won't be familiar with, but look him up. 
I won't explain why I've mentioned that name. But Steve Albini would be one, you know, that, that'd be my prime choice. There are plenty of other engineers and producers out there who don't have to produce his album, but just sit in the studio, bounce some new ideas yeah, off of say, each what other. what about this? Like, what about that? Miles Davis, one of the greatest figures in modern music, still had his albums produced, right? But mm. they're still Miles Davis albums. You don't, just because you have someone helping you out, maybe trying things that you've never tried before on your own at the mixing desk, sitting behind the console, doesn't make it any less your project. Uh, That's a really interesting comparison, actually. But it's interesting because Miles was a lot more limited in that he only really played one instrument and a very limited instrument at that. Like, you can only play one pitch at a time. And his thing was always, you know, getting bands together, getting different people together. Like, that's what his artistry was a lot of the times. But Prince, because he can play all the instruments, because he knows the studio back to front, I don't know if he can do that because he he just, um, I don't know, it's like almost a subconscious thing that he couldn't put himself in that role on an album anyway, like as a Prince album, like a Prince album produced by someone. If he puts out a Prince album with, you know, not him producing it, to everyone else, everyone, you know, most people won't care. Most Prince fans will probably be clapping their hands, but he'll be like, Oh, people are going to think that, you know, I, I can't produce an album anymore or something. Who, who knows what he thinks? Because yeah. he, he's done it for so long, why would he give that up? But just like he's mentioned in the last few years that the songwriting tap is not as flowing as it used to be out of his head, it could be the same production-wise as well. I don't see any problem with him getting an outside producer or an engineer to come in and, you know, not control things, but just give him some new ideas but i don't know if he's open to that or not yeah i mean just like an arranger an engineer some sort of conductor i don't know work with a larger orchestra Mm. something i like again going back to the miles davis thing the minute miles davis and i don't know the history of this maybe toe does maybe some of you guys know you know i haven't read his autobiography but I, i know that at some point in miles davis career he hooked up with gil evans and that completely changed the course of his career or at least the course of what he was doing at the time went in a completely different direction and Gil Evans is known as the guy that brought out something out of Miles Davis that the world hadn't heard before you know they collaborate on these incredible albums Miles Ahead I think they did Sketches of Spain and yeah Miles was always like that like in the 80s he had Marcus Miller you know Marcus Miller was the man behind churning out what was happening with Miles in the 80s and then Foley, yeah, yeah, so, uh, those those guys, and um, that's right. And then you know, Coltrane, and before that, like he always had, there was always that collaborative aspect with Miles's recordings. So, and everyone works in different ways, but I, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it. We've been doing this show for a few years now, and I'm making a big, bold, <laughs> brash statement. Not for the first time. <laughs> no, not for the first time, and certainly not for the last. Prince has not done his best work. There you go. I, I've put it. I've I've recorded that. It's on record. MC says Prince has not done his best work. I think he's done his definitive work as far as his own career is concerned and his place in the musical canon and, and the history of recorded music. I don't think he's done his best work. Is that an incomplete sentence? Like, do, do you mean, mean to say he hasn't done his best work yet? Do you think he's he's capable of doing his best work? It's still in there somewhere. And and I think the only way that he will be able to do his best work is to leave the ego at the door. I mean, you look at someone like Zappa. It's not it's not a good comparison. Maybe we shouldn't be comparing at all. But here's a guy who has got a very specific vision of things, mm-hmm. but still has the ability to collaborate like an absolute nutcase. I mean, collaborates with anyone and everything. Does yeah. so many experiments with sound. Has people conduct orchestras their interpretations of his own music i mean but he's someone like zappa or miles these guys are seen by the music community and people who know their stuff as singular talents you know influencers pioneers i can't think of any other and maybe this is prince's whole shtick i can't think of any other artist in the history of popular music who has gained this much popularity as much popularity as who has retained such an overwhelming amount of control over everything he does Name me one other person. I can't think of them. Well, George Lucas. No, in, okay. In music. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But that's in, the only other thing. In, no. Yeah. Good call. You got me there. But okay. I should have said in music. Yeah, I know what you mean. Prince stands alone as someone who has completely cultivated everything about his career more so than anyone else. But then his thought process is why, why change that now? Yeah. I mean, cause, because you're right. That got him to where he is, right? 
Yeah. You don't you don't question something that's given you success. Well, right. you know, George Lucas had the balls to sell Star Wars to Disney, so <laughs> if he can do it, Prince, you can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, it, I mean, it's an interesting thing. Like, you think of the, the, the artists that are considered the greatest in any genre of music, popular music, Western music. You go from the Beatles to the Stones, Zappa to Miles, to Bowie, to Queen, to James, to Sly. None of these guys have retained as much control as Prince has, I don't think. I can't think of a single popular artist that has. No, no, what you said before, the the phrase, the words that someone just said a few minutes ago was he needs someone to, you know, bring the best, bring bring out something from him that he hasn't done before. That's what he needs. That he might not even know is there. Exactly. But you know and, what the... And, he, and if he continues, you know, doing everything his way, that will never come out. No. Mm. It needs a different... You know, a different angle. It needs something. A new position. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's true though, eh? And he doesn't have to do anything, by the way. Oh, he doesn't have to listen to us, as he's proven time and time again. What do we know? (laughs) (laughs) To me, that would be, I think, the best thing. The main thing is something different. Something different. Not the not the same old, same old. And I remember years ago now, I remember thinking, oh yeah, the next album is going to be an experimental album because he always does like these sort of pop albums and then he puts out something experimental. And I remember like, this is probably after Musicology, from th- Musicology onwards, I thought, yeah, the next album is going to be an experimental one. And it just hasn't happened. Well, Lotus Flower was, was it Lotus Flower or 2010? Lotus Flower was more of a concept album than... Lotus Flower is slightly experimental, but it's, mm. it's, his last truly experimental album was like News. Yeah, I suppose. Expectation. Yeah, yeah. you're right. But and that's remember, coming up remember, 10 years ago now. So. I think it was Lotus Flower when they were saying, oh, we're using recording techniques, you know, that haven't even been invented yet. It's just <laughs> going to blow your face off when you hear it. I remember reading that, and I'm like, what? Mm. And then it's- Lotus Flower came out, and it sounded really organic and nice. And then 2010 was like just, you know, Pro Tools on a laptop. It was... <laughs> Yeah, well, Minneapolis didn't sound that good. Minneapolis sound had a like it sort of had that futuristic sound to it, but nothing like it was. Again, that was a bit derivative as well. See, 2010 was the last album, wasn't it? Yep. I'm still waiting for that Tal Wilkenfeld and Chris Coleman album that's sitting in the limo. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if that's you know, you could guess that that's the album that Cause and Effect came from. That could be a killer album. Can I just say something? You know, it's really weird. He kind of he doesn't collaborate that much with. People that are foreign to him, but how many times recently has he given away his songs to be remixed? I mean, that's the total loss of artistic control. Yeah. Hand over your work to a house music producer, regardless of whether he's happy with it or not. Like, that is the I ultimate. I find that as a cop out, to be honest. Like, it's just, a, oh, I need to put some more tracks on it so people buy it. And, oh, yeah, just grab some random DJ. Yeah, do what you want with it. And then- yeah, but think about what you're just saying. Do what you want with it. Is this the same Prince we're talking about? I think it's just part of the deal. He doesn't have a distributor. Purple Music is a distribution But he doesn't outlet. have to do this. What are you saying, remixes? Hmm. I think it's part of the package. Okay, but that's... The what- guy that he's distributing through is a remixer. So he just takes the tracks, remixes, and says, do you like this? I'll just whack it on there for you. Yeah, but this is a guy who wants to do... Prince is a guy, an artist who does everything himself, controls everything, produces everything, has the final say, influences basically everything, that anything that comes under his name, but then he hands stuff over to be remixed. Yeah, he might have the final say... Of the remixes. Still, yeah. He'll send the remixes back and he'll go, oh, yeah, that's all right. But that's what I'm saying. So it's why not get an outside it's producer? It saved me 45 minutes doing it. So, yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> so why not? Why, that's what I'm saying. Why not get an outside producer to just try it? Like, here's the, he, he, this is the magic. You don't have to use it. <laughs> if you bring someone else in, you bounce ideas uh, off of them. See- you know, if he gets someone to do, to engineer or produce or whatever, he's got to pay them. Actually, and if, and if he then doesn't use it, what a, what a waste of money. You might have hit on, you might have hit on the whole reason. You know, if it's not going to get used, then what's the friggin' point of the money? I reckon you've hit on it. No, but isn't that the engineer that you were talking about, MC? He doesn't take a payment or something? How does he work? <clears throat> no, he, he work. no, no, he, he works, supposedly Steve, Steve Albini works on the basis that he, it's an hourly rate. Like, he doesn't, but he doesn't want, he doesn't. Any royalties. Yeah, he's not credited on the album. He doesn't ha- want his name on the album, anything to do with it, doesn't want anyone to know. He just gets paid for the hour by the hour, or for the session, you know. Perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Except for the payment bit. I, I just keep going. I, I can't get this thought out of my mind because I've never had it before today. I, it, and it kind of seems obvious, but some of the world's, most of the world's, 
all of the world's greatest and most well-known artists that are, that are running through my mind. And I can't think of any of them that are as in control of everything they do as him. Well, well, Zappa is, but he chooses not to be, if that makes sense. Like, Zappa had as much control over his stuff. Yes. But he was more collaborative in nature. Yeah, yeah definitely. And he gave a lot of time to that process as well, whether it be in the studio or even on stage. It was all about bouncing ideas all around the place. Yeah. But, you know, you look at some of the biggest names in the history of music. I don't know. I mean, even from, I don't know, Frank Sinatra. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Queen. Pink Floyd. Uh, Pink Floyd, have I found, but even then... But they were never truly independent, were they? No, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. And they always so, had that whole, you know, who's the real Pink Floyd? So it was like... But it's Pink Floyd's a band, so it's, it's, it's a collaborative yeah, yeah. process. Yeah, okay, so it's already a band and Pink yeah. Floyd, Queen, all those guys. But, okay, if you look at, I don't know, Santana, Miles Davis, Tupac, I don't know, Eminem, Sting, Eric Clapton, Elton John, all these massive names, none of them... None of them retain the amount of self-control and, and, and control of everything they produce as Prince does. Neil Young, Johnny Cash, Bruce Springsteen, Marvin no, Gaye. He's, he's the, I've said it heaps of times, he's the George Lucas of the music industry. Hardcore. The closest he's done is, is giving something away for Kirky J to produce on Emancipation. But even then, <laughs> much. It's, but even then, I think it's just stuff that when he wasn't in the studio, he was just like a beat maker. And when he came in, he just yeah. taken stuff that he'd maybe come up with. But even then, it was like an in-house thing. He wasn't, like, reaching out to people out, outside of his own camp. So even then, like, he has sort of dabbled in... Well, he's credited him as a, as a producer, but whether he was ever that involved is another thing. Well, credited as producer and best man. Yeah. So, but, I mean, the list goes on. You can go Bob Marley, Ray Charles, James Brown, Jimi Hendrix. L- look at the names I'm coming up with. Elvis Presley, Bob Dylan. These are heavyweights. And none of them hold a candle to the amount of control that Prince has over his music and the way that he works. That is incredible. I've n- we've never talked about this before. Maybe I'm just tripping out. Maybe I'm overdoing it. I don't know. But it's just... Okay, you're, you're just saying control, right? Yes. Prince going into studio with a hired producer and basically saying, right, what's your idea? And just, you know, bouncing, I think you should do this, Prince, and then Prince just does it or tries to do it in his way. And then it's like the album sort of built around that. That would just be fascinating because it's never been done before. Mm. I think Wendy has said that she's got an idea of that to work with Prince. She said that she produces album. She's got like a set idea or something of how she won. I mean, if it had to be Wendy and Lisa, that would be fine. Because yeah, I think same. they've evolved in a very interesting way with all the movie scoring and soundtrack work that they're doing. They could bring maybe an interesting vibe into the studio. And he knows them, so he could trust them, right? That's right. Or at least to a higher degree than it, yeah. he could trust someone else. Just someone else someone else in there just to say, yeah, that, that was good, Prince, but I've heard you do that before. Why don't you try this and try See, this? But that, that's the thing. Wendy and Lisa would say that. What outside producer who just gets hired by the hour is going to say to Prince, yeah. no, that didn't work. Sorry. I know you're great, but that's crap. No one is going to say that. Hey, uh, why don't you try this, Prince? No, I think that sounded fine. Okay. You know, I think that sounded fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. you're right. It really is better the way you do. It really is better your way. Yeah, I don't know why I'm even here. <laughs> When's lunch, anyway? But, yeah, I don't know. There's just I, so much. I just come back to the something different. That's all I'm interested in. Something different. Like, I'm sure I'll be, if he does another der- derivative Prince album, I'll be happy with it, I'm sure. I'll enjoy it. But it would be awesome to have just something different. You look at the Beatles, one of the most successful bands of all time. George Martin. You know, you look at Jimi Hendrix, and the name doesn't come to me at the moment, but there was an English guy that, uh, was it Ro- uh, Kramer? You know, Hendrix had the, the experience and the band of gypsies, so he was always... There's always a collaborative thing going on there too as well. Yeah. Eddie Kramer, I think it was. But yeah, it's incredible to think that this guy has just produced everything. Actually, that's... Is that true? Has Prince produced every album himself? He has, hasn't he? Well, New Power Soul was produced by the NPG. <laughs> well, Which is a good segue. Should should there be a total revamp of NPG? What's your thoughts it's, on that? Yeah, I'm, I'm saying yes. Now that I've seen them. 
Yes, that it'll yes. happen, or yes, that you want it to happen? No, yes, that I want it to happen. But, you know, it, it will happen, because no band has ever lasted, you know, that long. They all no, just, but, they all no, get the cho- they all get the chop eventually, so... No, but in the last 10 years, it's it's like one member leaves and it's just replaced with another. Yeah, and it's like a it's slow different. thing, isn't it? It's a very slow thing. It's not like a total cull, kind of like yeah. the way Son of the Times band changed to... You know, new power generation, diamonds and pearls era. You know, do something different. Get like some teenage kid who's really rough around the edges, but has like heaps of potential or something. Yeah, you know what I mean. Instead of the sort of classically molded Prince band member. But see, look at it from his point of view. Why would you go out of your comfort zone? I've said this before. Mm. Why would he? He doesn't have that's, to. That's what I reckon he should do. Is just go down to like the streets. You know, go down to the ghetto and pick up some kids that are doing some cool beats <laughs> or something. <laughs> I think it's a good idea. Go to the ghetto, friends. God. <laughs> but I don't know, like, just go and check out some, you know, like, young bands, like, real raw bands, and just headhunt them. I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but the best drummer I have ever seen on earth was on a footpath in Toronto. And he was oh. outside the, um, I think it's the Eaton Centre there, and he was there. I watched him for, like, an hour, and he was unbelievable. He was, was he- better than Blackwell. He was better than anyone I've ever seen. Was he playing an actual kit, or was he playing like buckets or something? He had a kit, but he had a he had a, like a small kit, but he had like other buckets and stuff as well around him. But he had like a basic kit, and he was just oh man, I just stood there for so long. But I think that's the story the world over. There's so many good musicians out there, and they're just playing on street corners that yeah. will never ever get discovered. And that I- and that's something Prince is never going to see because he doesn't walk in the street. Every every new band member Prince gets in the last, well, pretty much since the change of the Diamonds and Pearls, uh, has, has always been someone who's maybe a recommendation in their 30s, of someone yeah, from in their 30s another MPG or, member. Exactly, yeah. But yeah. just get someone that's like straight out of school or something that has like this underground reputation of, and, and take them under your wing then rather than by the time they're already this sort of established virtuoso musician. You know? hmm. Well, speaking of of artists that I'd love to see Prince work with from a producer standpoint point of view and I'm talking about them producing his album or getting re- or at least co-producing I've said this before David Bowie but I know he's out of the music industry and just enjoying his life so that's unlikely but uh, I reckon the maybe w- the chance to co-produce a Prince album might bring him out yeah you never know it could I mean that guy's got the chops the skills the influence and just the the fascinating mind that i think if if they got on well imagine what he could they could do oh that, wow that'd be, that'd be incredible that would be incredible but the other guy that i think is that's probably more in in and of the now would be a jack white head down to, to nashville tennessee and go to jack white's third man studios invite beck for the ride as well i think he, he <laughs> recorded a song with jack white a, a little while ago and just see what happens Someone strange. I mean, David Bowie and Jack White are very unique individuals. And there's surely plenty of others, but well, maybe not plenty, but surely there are others. And I, I just think that would be immensely interesting for him. But then again, I'm talking on behalf of someone that I don't know. So this sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? You can assume he's got enough money that he could just quit everything tomorrow and just he's fine. He doesn't have to do anything. Absolutely. You're right. Of course not. And we've said this before, he doesn't have to tour anymore if he doesn't want to. He never has to put out another note, another song, another album ever. But he chooses to do whatever he does. But then he doesn't have to listen to, you know, anything we say. Or he doesn't have to go and get an outside producer. He doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to get new young band members. He can do what he's comfortable doing, you know, with an age group of band members that he's comfortable with putting out sort of middle-of-the-road songs that he's comfortable with. Everything's just comfortable now. It's strange that a bunch of guys, and I've said this before, it's strange that a bunch of guys like us sit around talking about this stuff. And I don't want to go on that rant, but I think it comes back to something that Tojay mentioned, I think, he, when we spoke last time, and he answered what I was saying by saying, well, it's because we know what this guy's capable of, and it kind of goes back to why we became fans of the music in the first place. Mm. And I just think... If it was anyone else, I'll give you a perfect example. When I was growing up and I was a teenager, my first biggest musical influence was Michael Jackson, as probably a lot of people was. And I, you know, I listened a lot to him. And then all of a sudden I got more into the rock stuff and I started listening to Dire Straits. And ever since my time listening to Dire Straits and the band broke up and, and Mark Knopfler, the lead singer and guitar player, continued a solo career. I have bought every Mark Knopfler album 
as it's come out. I've gotten into it. I've enjoyed them. And I'm a big, big fan of the guy. Now, for the most part, he just creates variations of the same song, variations on a theme. You know, the guy's a storyteller, but he writes really interesting lyrics for the most part, has very interesting melodic guitar lines. And I like listening to that stuff. I wouldn't, but I would never spend my time on a podcast talking about what Mark Knopfler needs to do in his career or, or should do, or why doesn't he open himself? Because there's an, he's an artist and he's got his, you know, he, he does what he does really well. And um, sure, every time a new album comes out, I buy it, but there's no massive expectation that it's going to be different. And even if it was, I'd think, okay, fine, he's going in another direction. For some reason with Prince, it's a completely different story. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I, I, it's I weird, eh? And I don't know why that is. I remember we talked briefly about this before, and it's just, it's just bizarre that we're sitting here talking about this stuff. It is very bizarre. It's like I think it's because we all know what's kind of like what's in him. And it's kind of frustrating that that's not coming out. I mean, like, you take a look at the vault. We, a lot of people know what's in there, and he decides not to release it. And that's frustrating. And then he says something like, well, it'll only come out when I'm not around anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's, but uh, that's probably why we're getting the m- sort of music that we are now. Because I think maybe in his eyes, once he's long gone, that the music will come out and he's more appreciated or whatever. I don't know if that will actually happen. But I think it's also the the whole image like that he's presented this whole his whole career this kind of the mysterious mystery. Willy Wonka kind of character. Let and it you go. never know. There's always something cooking behind the scenes, and it's kind of like you know it's almost like we've sort of bought into that all. But it is strange, guys, isn't it? Like yeah, what but I think doing? that's part what of it. Are we like what we're doing here. It's a combination of it's a combination of, of everything. It's a combination of that we know that what he's capable of. But it's also part of the fact that in the past we've kind of all kind of bought into it into the whole. You know, even though we all sort of see it now, but when we first got into it, we all kind of bought into that whole, you know, mystique thing. And does that make sense? Kind of, yeah. And you know what, you, I still don't know what it is. The Radiohead comparison, comparing Radiohead to Prince, is interesting to me because they are actually a band who have undergone phenomenal change and direction, starting out as a kind of alternative rock band into a more polished alternative Brit rock band then creating almost their own style of dystopian, disconnected, strange rock sounds, then going into something completely different. In 2000, they released an album called Kid A, which just put everything on its head. Very electro, downbeat, experimental side, and then produced another couple of albums in that same vein, then did an amalgamation of all of that, and just constantly evolving. And also have a fan base that expects them every time they put out an album they expect them to put out another okay computer or kid a did they have an album or a song which was the the paranoid android yes yeah that's that's them yeah that's them but the comparisons are there and they're not identical obviously but you know that's just an example so certainly there are bands and artists out there that have a following that expects something from from a band i mean that's Without a doubt. Anytime- but here's the thing, like, Prince was like that for a certain part of his career. For a good 15 years, he was like that. Every album was different and, mm. and evolving and all this kind of thing. And the challenge for Radiohead is how long can they keep it going for? Because they've been around since, what, the early 90s? So, yeah. you know, they've yeah. been at it for all, a good 20 years now, just about. Yep. And so the question for them is, is can they keep it going? And, and, yeah, and it's been asked before, and they've taken some time off, and they've... You know, they, they didn't record for a few years and then they came back with another perhaps album. It's, perhaps it's easier in, in a band situation than it is for a solo artist like Prince to, to continually evolve and to continually push the boundaries. Maybe. That's, a, that's an interesting point you raise because I guess in a band, it's, it's about as, potentially as much about staying together as it is mm-hmm. about making music. And I think there's always, within a band, there's always some tension as well, which can be a creative spark. Mm. Uh, yeah, or the opposite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, Metallica. Like, I think Metallica, I always imagine a Metallica like that. They're either, like, fully into it, or they're fully hating each other. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. But going back to what you were saying about the MPG, and if you should get a whole new band, even if he gets a whole new band, I don't think there's ever going to be that tension. Because I think, you know, in, in a Prince band these days... I think, apart from him, any band members have very limited input. You know, there's not that, like, band. But even if it's not, a, it's no. not a band, it's a, it's a hired group of people 
who do what they're told. That's the, to me. That's not a band. Yeah, that's true. Okay, here's a quick. Like, having like a whole new band would give a different vibe, and spawning from that, you get different inspiration. Here's a question: Do you need to be impressed when you hear a new song or or, or new music? And I'm not talking about Prince. I'm just saying in general. When you hear a new album by an artist that you follow or that you like, do you need to be impressed? Yes. As a general rule, it helps. Yes, it helps. Because if it doesn't impress you, then you're not into it. You just move on. Yeah. It needs to catch you some in some sort of way. I generally like ninety percent of the music I hear. I generally like it. But then for me to actually go out and buy an album, it normally has to impress me in some way. Okay. So you can hear something and go, yeah, that's not bad, but you'll only invest emotionally or financially in it if... If it's something that sort of catches you unexpected. You think, wow, that's really cool. Definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Okay. Well, that's something I've never heard before. Or- no, that's, that's an ap- absolute yes, because I don't have enough time to listen to stuff that's not that good. That's a very good point. You know, I've got enough stuff to do and yeah. enough other great music to listen to instead of listening to something which is just average. If I listen to something that's average, I'll listen to it once, maybe twice, and go, nah, next. And I'll but even, so, even so-called even so-called average songs are still enjoyable. Like I said, most of the stuff I hear, I enjoy. But then yeah, for me to actually go and buy it, it's a different thing. So. But here's a thought. What if it's a great song and we don't have the attention span? Like, you need, like, three or four listens out of it. Yeah, that's another there point. Been, there's been Prince albums where... There's growers. Need, there's growers sure. and you need to listen to it to get into it. If you write yeah. it off too quickly, that's got nothing to do with him. It's really our attention span. But Prince is, like, the only artist that I will listen to songs that I don't think are great. You know, more than twice. Yeah. Because I know there are songs like that. Mm. And for him, I'll do that, but I really can't be bothered for anyone else. Yeah, you're right. I'm the same. Like, you know, there's some really, I'll say, crap songs in his history that, you know, I think are not good. But I've still, you know, the album comes out, you listen to it a hundred times. You might skip that song now and then, but you'll still listen to it a lot more than if it was any, any other artist or if it was just something that came on the radio and you just changed the station if anyone even listens to the radio anymore. See, it makes me think how much he really takes, you know, the opinion of the fans. You know, what sort of scale does he consider, you know, anything we say important at all? Uh, he'll take the opinion. He won't use it, though. He, he's, he's always been a guy that be- walks the beat of his own drum. He's always been like that. I know, but then I think back to an interview, I think it was in... It might have Mate. been in 2011 when he was doing those European festivals and someone asked him about the set list and he said the crowds dictate the set list. Yeah, yeah. And so that gave me some clue, you know, that he is sort of listening to what people want. But then, you know, that's contradicted to almost everything else. I think that was basically meaning if he's playing in front of a large crowd, he'll play the hits. If he's playing in front of a small crowd, he might play something else. Yeah. It just sort of implied that, you know, he did listen to people, which might have been his intention. Just put it out there that, you know, well, oh, I do, I do care what people think when really... He might not, but that's a, that's a nice little thing to say, which makes people think, oh, he does care what people say. I think he does care, but as far as decision-making, like, he just walks the bit of his own drum. Mate, if you want something, you won't get it. You ask for it, you're not going to get it. Well, we asked for endorphin machine, we didn't get it. <laughs> so there's the proof of that. <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't have to. That's the thing, he doesn't have to. But there's, there's things that could he could do. This is a frustrating thing about Princeman. There's things that you can or you'd like for him to do, but he doesn't do it. And it, like, it could benefit him and the, like overall, but you know, he decides not to do it for whatever reason. Who knows? From him going from, say, for example, releasing like a live DVD or like a video compilation nearly year in, year out, and then for that to suddenly stop, and now we've had no release of on DVD for over 10 years, when it's, it's something that he could quite easily do because he records everything. But occasionally he puts out these big, bold statements, and there was one only like when he played those Chicago shows, and it said, this band's great, we're going to film all these shows and it, there's going to be a DVD so everyone can see it. Maybe there is one coming. Maybe but there the is. the quality of maybe. those shows wouldn't lend you to think that, from the, just from the reviews anyway. I don't think he likes putting out live performances because I think he wants people to come to the show and have no idea what to expect. And if he puts out, like, especially a live hits, if he put out like a, you know, musicology to a DVD, at the time we were all, you know, saying, oh, we should have, and I still think he should have. But when you look at it in the wider context, he didn't put it out, I think, because... 
in the back of his mind, he knew he'd be doing this sort of world tour. He went to London, he went to Europe, now to Australia, and who were, you mm. know, doing these big hit shows. And so people are still coming to the shows, the vast majority of people having no idea what to expect. Yeah. Now, if there was a, a musicology DVD out there and all the fans bought that, and then, and then it would have been more of the same when they got to the concert, if that makes sense. If there was ever a tour that needed a DVD, it was the Gold Experience Tour. <laughs> because that was never going to happen again, and it, it never will. He's not going to do a 30, 30th anniversary of the Gold Experience Tour. He's not going to do that. He's never going to play that stuff again, except for a couple of songs. That would have been the perfect tour to have a live DVD. But then again, it wouldn't have been that, just like the tour didn't make that much money, like in England and Europe, because he wasn't playing the hits, the DVD probably wouldn't have sold that well for the same reason, because it didn't have the hits on it. But all the hardcore, crazy people, we would have bought it. He would have got, you know, his most of his normal fan base to buy it, and that would have been enough money. You know, it's money for nothing. He's already done the show. That's right. You just got to pay for a bit of production. I'm not talking Aladdin-quality production, but some decent-quality production, and that's all you got to spend. Don't Pearl Jam do something like that? They film or, or record the audio, and at the end of it, you can buy it? Well, yeah, they did that. Uh, they used to, I, don't know if they still I think do. it was around 2002, 2004. They recorded, like, every show, and you could buy it, like, through their website, like, mm. a few, couple of days later. And that was genius, and they, like Prince says he does but never does, they did a different set list every night. It might have been the same, like, roughly 20, 30 songs, but it was a different order every night. It was just on a whim, we're going to play this, we're going to play that. It wasn't the same. Actually, it was unbelievable. have you guys... Um, As opposed to Prince doing the same thing 90% every night, the same set list. That shows the flexibility of the current band. Have you guys heard of um, Elvis Costello's Spin the Wheel Tour or whatever it's called? Sounds like a good idea, though. He's been doing this tour, right? And he's doing it in Australia next year. He's been doing it over the last couple of years, where he brings his band, you come to the show, and they've literally got a spinning wheel with, like, 40 or 50, 60 songs on there. And oh, how good is that? Someone <laughs> cool. from the band walks up, and before they... To play the next number, that's what they do. They spin the wheel, whatever it lands on, they go straight into. That is the, excellent. The spinning songbook, I think it's called. That is genius. How good is that? It's ridiculously good. cheesy, but genius at the same time. I love it. <laughs> what would be really impressive songs. is if you had like 300 songs on there. Oh, yeah. That would be really impressive. And you, you had to learn oh, every well, one. Oh, well, remember all the interviews. Oh, all the interviews. Remember the yeah, three rehearsed. interviews? Yeah. yeah. We've rehearsed songs. 250 songs. Yeah, but yeah. they always hover around the same 40, so... Yeah. Oh, so, but, he, but he sang one... He sang three words from Housequake, so there's another song. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine if, if Prince did it, he'd have, like... Prince would have the 300-song wheel, but it would be, like, rigged, so it only ever landed on Purple Rain and Kiss. <laughs> oh, let's go crazy. Oh, yeah, we can do that one. <laughs> That's hilarious. And there'd be all this, like, super cool unreleased stuff that he's never played. Yeah. And it oh, never lands and on it. And it all lands. the fans are like, please, please, please. Ah, oh, damn it. Oh, <laughs> See, it's like the Wheel of Fortune. Rock and Roll Love Affair. It's between, like... Yeah. <laughs> it's between, like, joint repetition and endorphin machine. <laughs> and it lands on Kiss. <laughs> oh, the spinning songbook. That's genius. I love it. Remember 1993, Act 2 tour in Europe. That, I think that was when the Controversy magazine was still just around. The songs he played on that tour were voted by the fans through Controversy magazine. Prince asked them, and they put a survey out, what songs do you want him to play next tour? Well, that's enough of us talking about, even though we didn't plan to. 